Outdoor Edge knows that providing a freezer full of meat is part of the reason we all hunt. And what better way to bring it full circle than to process your own wild game? Outdoor Edge provides a full lineup of traditional and replaceable blade hunting knives and complete wild game processing kits to bring your wild game from the field to the freezer. Visit OutdoorEdge.com and at checkout, enter the discount code N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. All right, guys. Welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today... I've got Stephen Walker. Now, Stephen is a father, a husband, a pastor, a crazy shed hunter, and Western big game hunter. And so I'm really excited to pick his brain as another person who had moved from um, actually the south down Louisiana out to the west, and now he pursues all sorts of animals everywhere in between. But it's going to be a good episode because we've got season coming up very quickly and I'm just getting fired up. In fact, tomorrow, hopefully tomorrow, I'll be heading out to Wyoming. Sorry, I don't know why I said Wyoming. Montana and then Utah for my first big hunt of the year. And anyways, yeah, it's just going to be a fun time chatting with him and hearing all about western hunting. So, let's jump into this episode with Steven. You're listening to the Western Rookie a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. All right, guys. Welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today, I've got Stephen Walker. Now, Stephen is a transplant from Louisiana out to the great state of Colorado. And if you know anything about the West, I mean, you know, it's just gorgeous. There's so many hunting opportunities out there. Big game, beautiful scenery. And so I'm excited to chat with Stephen and see what that's looked like ever since he's moved out there. So Stephen, thanks for hopping on, man. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, why don't we start out like this before we jump into the conversation, get into all the stories. Uh, why don't you share a little bit about your hunting history with the listeners, kind of what you grew up doing, what brought you out to Colorado and why you love it out there so much. Well, so my first hunting experience, uh, my dad raised me and my brother hunting with dogs, uh, hunting wild hogs in Louisiana. So that was my very first hunting experience ever. Uh, my dad loved hunting with dogs, and that was kind of his niche. And so um, I learned a lot, a lot about tracking, a lot about that sort of thing from him. And then about, I think I was 12 years old. Uh, me and my brother, we started really hitting my dad up about taking us deer hunting. And so uh, dad put us in a safety course. We both got our uh, safety course certification. And uh, he took us that year. And both me and my brother killed our first white-tailed deer that year. And then that just opened up this, you know, whole world of we got so involved in white-tailed hunting. And by the time I think... I would have been about 15. Um, my brother would have been 13 or so. We both got just some old bows that someone had gave us or something. And we started, uh, we started bow hunting a little bit <laughs> and it was, it was quite hilarious. I can tell you that because, um, those old bows shot so slow <laughs> that those white tails would jump the air a lot of times. But we were just happy to be out there chasing them. And then um, uh, probably about early 20s, 24 or so, 
got into turkey hunting, done that for ever since then. But then about 2008, 2009, me and a, a really good friend that I'd grown up with, Cade Mitchell, uh, he, he said, man, why don't you and I plan a trip to Colorado? Let's go elk hunting. And so, man, that was the beginning of falling in love with the West for sure. And uh, I remember, Dan, that first year that we came, I literally, and this is, this is the truth, I literally saw one elk the whole hunt. It was a five-by-five bull. I got him to like 75 yards and uh, just couldn't, wasn't comfortable with the shot. But only seeing that one elk while we were hunting, just, I mean, lit a fire in me um, to chase an elk in the West. And so over the next few years, we chased elk. I, um, I shot one, I think, the third year maybe that I had come and lost him and so it was 2012 before i actually killed my first bull with a bow and uh i killed a six by six he scored like 308 inches and to me that was just you know huge trophy i I have him on the wall right now so yeah that's um, an amazing first bull holy cow yeah (laughs) yeah yeah And, and like i said it took four years to to finally kill one but it was all worth it you know i was determined i'd started out bow hunting for elk and i wasn't going to switch to a rifle until i had killed one with a bow yeah i feel like it is it's interesting when you get into a certain type of hunting with a weapon you know whether it's a bow or a gun it's easy to get stuck in that you know like for me i I said the same thing like i'm gonna well, I started out saying, I'm going to figure this thing out with my rifle because I was looking just at the uh, success rates. And it was yeah. something like 3% success rate with a bow. And I was yeah. like, okay, well, first of all, that means one out of 33 hunts ends up with a bull. And right. I'm like, I don't, I don't have that much vacation time to go out 33 times. I'm like, okay, so maybe in the next five years, I'll shoot one. I was like, no, I want to get out there and figure it out with the rifle. I can extend my range, obviously with the rifle. And I knew people that were already going out. And so I was like, all right, this is no brainer. I'm going to put my time in with this. And then I'm going to switch to my bow. Well, the problem became we've had so much success with rifles and it's been so amazing. And I love the group of guys that I go out with. Like it's a huge group and they get, Oh, believe me, they get rowdy. They get crazy, (laughs) but I have so much fun. I look forward to it every October going out and hanging out with them for nine, 10, 11 days, depending on how, how early or how late we stay. And I'm like, it's going to be tough to give that up now because we've built such a tradition and such good camaraderie out there that to switch over just to chase them with my bow would be difficult. And so now I'm like, okay, how do I go about transitioning? Do I start out in a different state? Do I only maybe cow hunt when I go for second rifle season? Uh, what, how do I make that change into the archery world? And you know what, that might be a great idea, Dan is, you know, if, if there's a cow hunt available with that, same unit with your same group of guys then you could you know have the experience of an archery hunt and then still because i understand the camaraderie is is so much of what it is with any kind of hunting but especially out west yeah i mean it really is yeah what is uh what does that look like for you now out west um does your buddy still come out there and hunt now that you live there or did he move out there as well? Or what does your, uh, elk camp look like? So, so, uh, Cade, my buddy that we started hunting together, he, he's super busy. He's in the, uh, uh, oil industry. And so over the last few years, he has been super, super busy. Matter of fact, this year, he's not even getting to come at all. So he's had to really just take, just when he can grab a few days and come out and over the last probably three or four years, 
him and I have not even got to hunt together because of how his schedule is and whatever. Um, so right now, um, me, my son, and my son's father-in-law, uh, that's pretty much our elk camp. We we have a uh, a camp that is about 10 miles in from the end of a national forest road that we uh, pack up the mules and we we pack in there and um our our success it's it's funny that you mentioned the success rate because man it's so discouraging if if you look overall i i, I saw um just the other day uh, there was a study that came out i think it was from 2019 but there was 283,000 elk is what they say we have in Colorado and the CPW is selling 220,000 tags a year. <laughs> they're making they're making somewhere around 40 million a year off of tag fees. Oh my goodness. And and the the success rate across all manners of take, rifle, archery, etc. is only at 17% across all manners of take. Jeez. And so the one thing that I learned from being here is pretty much to be successful, you have to put in more time, more effort than most everybody else if you're going to be successful. And so we go 10 miles back. That puts us pretty much away from most of the crowds. You know, we'll have one or two now and again. But it's amazing just going from like the end of the road and and the the number of bugles you'll hear there and then you go 10 miles in and the difference it is because of pressure yeah i mean it is an amazing difference so when you're doing that 10 miles are you are you packing everything in are you hiking yeah. are you doing horse mule so we've got mules. We pack everything on the mules, and um, and then we we lead the mules in. Okay. So mm -hmm. I'm guessing you're doing some type of wall tent setup, or you know, setting up a base camp back there. And then uh, once you have camp set up, are you hunting by foot? Uh, are you just kind of hiking from place to place, or are you uh, loading up on the mules every day and and trying to find the elk? Once we get to camp, um, we are we are just hiking from there and hunting from there okay. uh, we have a 12 by 12 wall tent that we take in there it's it's small enough we can pack it still big enough that three guys can be in it you know with our cots and be comfortable um but man we're, we're super fortunate because this area uh my son's father-in-law he he literally has been hunting this area since the sixties. And Dang, that's sweet. and so <laughs> he he knows this place, you know, I mean so well. And um so it has a lot of sentimental value to him. And then he's passed that on to us over the last uh eight or ten years. Yeah. What uh what is the success rate look like? Uh, how has that changed for you guys from the time you first came out? And, you know, like you said, it was four years before you got your first elk uh, to now. I mean, are you guys bringing elk elk meat home or bringing a bull home every season or multiple? So, so I'll just tell you this. My first three years, I was doing like everyone else and trying to just hike way, way back and hunt. My fourth year, my son's father-in-law, uh, Todd Wilson invited me to come back here to this camp and I killed my first bull. Jeez. And ever since then, um, we have someone in the family has at least taken the elk out of there pretty much every year. Um, we had our best year in 2020. Um, I had a muzzle loading tag. My son had a archery tag and Todd Wilson had a first rifle tag and we filled all three tags. Jeez. 
that is an impressive feat. I mean, so it was awesome. So really, you guys are the reason the uh, annual percentage or the percentage rate for harvest is even at 17. Without people like you, (laughs) we might be in the single digits. (laughs) Well, you know, this, this is, it's really a huge, um, opportunity to, to, to know someone who, who has that kind of experience, you know, in this area for so many years, that's, that like gives you a huge leg up, you know, um, oh yeah, put you ahead of everybody else. And, and, you know, we've been able to go back there. We've been able to get away from, the majority of the hunting pressure. Um, now I will say this, and I love, I love Onyx Hunt. Map. I use it all the time. Yeah. But one thing that hunting maps has done, it it has put more people in those backcountry areas, and like we're seeing people that just um they like picked a spot on a on onyx and and like man this ridge looks like it should be really good and they'll they'll hike and they'll spend i mean they put in the effort they'll spend days and they'll just hike through there and last year we had a couple of guys that had never been the area before but just found it on onyx and hiked in and not knowing the area they set up their tent and camped in the in one of our best betting grounds. Oh no. <laughs> and so, so Saturday morning we had bulls going crazy, bugling everywhere. And by Saturday evening in our Canyon and the next Canyon over, they had pushed all the elk out. Oh my goodness. That would be so heartbreaking. <laughs> and that's a, that's a difficult spot to be in as somebody who's been there. And I mean, you're part of a, a party that, you know, he's been hunting there for 50, 60 years. And yeah. it's like, how, how do you go about saying, hey, we hunt here every year. This is a really good spot for elk. Don't camp right there. You know, because <laughs> then they're going to be like, oh, shoot, we're in the right spot. Like, we need to come back year after year. We won't camp in this yeah. valley. But obviously, if they keep coming back for decades, there's something yeah. to it. You know, you don't want to give away that it's that good of a spot, but also like, Hey, you really can't camp there. It's going to ruin all of the hunting. <laughs> well, I must say we were tempted to, uh, to make a little sign and, and put it, put it where they camp and just, you know, kind of fill them in with at least, Hey guys, this is a, this is one of the elk's favorite batting grounds. And if you just wouldn't camp here, it would help everybody, you know? Yeah. Because I, and I understand because I was that, I was that guy that came from Louisiana for, for years. And I was just trying to find a great place to hunt. And, and I was willing to put in, you know, we were putting in, me and my buddy Cade were putting in 15, sometimes 18 miles a day just trying to get further than everybody, yeah. you know? And so I, I, and you've probably done the same thing. Uh, we just, we were trying to put in the effort. Um, and these guys were doing the same thing. You know, they didn't mean to, they didn't mean to mess us up or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, is Saturday evening when they, when they blew all the elk out, it was, um, I think it was Wednesday. Uh, before we heard a confirmed bugle again in those two canyons. Jeez. Yeah, that is, that's wild. And it's crazy to think like in my mind going out to Colorado, it's like when I whitetail hunt in the Midwest or go up to Wisconsin, like you blow a deer out of an area and there's going to be more deer right back in it, you know, maybe hours later, no big deal. There's animals everywhere. Well, with elk, I remember my first year hunting we were we were sitting there watching the all these elk and we were kind of on we were about i don't know 400 500 yards from the property line between public and private and these Mm -hmm. elk were just barely inside the private or inside the public land line and so we're like all right how do we go about this how do we make a play on these do we try to shoot one it's really steep terrain 
And as we're trying to figure all this out, a couple people came from private onto public and pushed the elk back out, back onto their side. And I'm like, man, that sucks. Like you guys have tens of thousands of acres of private land to hunt and you're coming and intentionally scaring elk away when you see somebody coming, you know, trying to make a play on them. And I I thought it was kind of shady, but anyways, that wasn't the point of the story. The point of the story was the, when I watched those elk get blown out of there, we watched them for well over a mile. I mean, I'm talking 70 plus elk that ran full speed. It seemed like the entire time, all the way across this Valley on private land up into an opposing mountainside and they were gone. And I remember sitting there thinking, those elk might not be back for weeks. Like they just, they ran out of here. Like they never wanted to be in this spot again. Whereas like a deer, you know, you might see a deer run off and it runs to 200 yards and then it stops and turns around and looks back and might even start feeding once it gets far enough away. These mm-hmm. elk, the just the way that they ran and the speed that they ran at and how much ground and the type of terrain they could cover in that short amount of time it really concerned me. And I was like, man, right. This is a whole different ball game because you know, we've got a nine day second season hunt. And if you blow elk out like that on day three or four, there's a good chance. None of those elk are coming back before your season's over. Not to mention they're herd animals, you know, like a whitetail, you blow a big buck out. Well, there might be another big buck just on the other side of the woodlot with elk. Typically, most of them are together and you might find small pockets True. here and there, but like to take 75 elk out of the equation, just like that from one mistake, that could, that could be detrimental to your hunting success. Oh, for sure. No doubt about it. I mean, and, and you know, this from being out here, the hunting seasons are, are so, you know, there's only, there are only a few days according to which season you hunt. Um, you know, I think muzzleloaders nine. Um, I think second season might be nine, seven yeah. or nine. But man, when you when something like that happens, I mean, your whole hunt can be blown by that one instance. Yeah, yeah, especially I mean, like in in your guys's case where you've been figuring out this one area, or you know, your son's father in law has been figuring out this area for decades. And it's like, this is where I go. If I know I need to get one, if I know like I'm going to shoot one, it's going to be down somewhere along this bedding area. You know, you're catching them going from or coming back to the bedding. And yeah. And then all of a sudden your number one go to like not even a Hail Mary, <laughs> almost a surefire spot no longer has elk in it. Yeah. That's yeah, tough. That's, that's wild. We, We've experienced some stuff like that, even with deer hunting, because typically the hardwoods will hold deer really well after the corn and the beans and the crops are cut. Well, there's yeah. been a couple of years, and this wasn't even that long ago, probably in the last five or six seasons, that there were a couple of years where it was so wet that the farmers couldn't take the corn down. And so I'd go up for mm. Thanksgiving for rifle season, and the corn's still standing. Well, when I say we have success, me and my family, we hunt like a 40 acre chunk and we yeah. had as many as like 11 or 12 people hunting this. And it's weird. Yeah. You would think it's so overcrowded. It'd be impossible to fit that many people in 40 acres, but the terrain, the hills, the thick woods, it, yep. it really feels like you're all alone out there. Well, we've gone out there and we've had years where we're shooting six or seven deer on opening weekend. And that's it's, amazing. Man. Like, I don't, I don't remember a single time that we've gone even the full first day without shooting something. And all of a sudden we had these wet years where the crops didn't come down and nobody was seeing deer. I mean, it, I think all co- to combined, the whole group saw like five or six deer on opening day. And wow. I'm like, there's been days where I've sat there and seen 45, 50 deer opening day just by myself. And so it's crazy once you like take certain things or like add certain things to the equation, like a new food source or a change in bedding or somebody, maybe the neighbor comes and logs his property, how quickly things can change. And then to think 
it doesn't even have to be something that extreme or that big of an event. It could just be the wrong guy camping at the wrong spot out West. Exactly. And it does the exact same thing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's so true, man. And you know, we, we're fortunate. I, I have a lot of, um, uh, my kin folks from Georgia and me and my cousin Huey, um, we, we've been hunting together. We've been hunting whitetails together for years. And so, kind of like your family land we have we, we're blessed with a little bit more access there i think all total we have close to 300 acres and nice. um we'll have we all go and meet up it's kind of like our thanksgiving hunt but we do it early november and um man we'll have we'll have sometimes eight to ten or twelve of us hunting at the same time and we've been so fortunate it's not like we've got tons of just giant bucks but we've got some great bucks i mean i've killed 145 class deer you know there Dang, yeah and um uh but we we we're very careful and i know you guys do this this is one thing i love about whitetail hunters is even when we all come out west we're all careful about you know scent and and the wind and those things you know and uh so I always love, I always love hunting with guys who, who have been whitetail hunters, but, um, our success rate has been great there. And we usually end up killing a couple of mounters a year off of nice. that place. That's awesome. It's, th there's just something about that, like tradition, you know, you go back year after year, everyone's there, everyone's remembering the stories from, you know, Man, remember back in 2011 when we saw that giant? <laughs> nobody actually connected with it. Like, yeah, I I can't get past that side of it. And there's there's some of those guys that will go out and do the solo hunt deal. You know, they'll go way out in the backcountry all by themselves. I know people like that personally. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I can't imagine doing all of that and not having anybody that you can be like, hey, remember this? And it's yeah. Like, uh, nope, we don't. <laughs> We only know from your story and we can't even confirm it. Like, wait, right. did you really see that big of a bull? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, well, what's that? What's that? That Randy Newberg, I think he always says, if it's not videoed, it's not true. Yeah, exactly. If, you, <laughs> if there's no pictures of it, it didn't actually happen. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, it's funny because that's the first thing that me and my buddies always say, like, it, if someone's like dude just shot a big one it's like picture didn't happen and right. <laughs> immediately everyone's scrambling to send the pictures out uh but no it's Love it's a good it. time so you guys i mean your season's coming up pretty quick then yeah so we we're we actually have a pretty full season um um my son's archery tag starts uh september 2nd um and then I have a muzzleloader tag starting September 10th. And then um, Todd Wilson has, he's been putting in for like 12 or 14 years for an antelope tag here in um, Southern Colorado. And that one starts October 1st. And, um, and then we have, uh, I'll be leaving the end of October, head to Georgia to whitetail hunt. So it's pretty, it's, we, we, we're pretty, pretty booked up for the year. Um, yeah. and then I don't know, have you ever chased coos deer in like Arizona? No, I haven't, but I keep oh, hearing about it. And bro, look, let me tell you something, <laughs> being a whitetail hunter, you got to put it on your bucket list. Okay. So, so I, I was fortunate to go, um, uh, year before last and, um, the tag, they kind of changed it this past year and, and I still haven't figured out exactly cause I think now it's, it's, um, species specific. It was, you could shoot a muley buck or a coos buck was in, in the archery hunt in January, which is when the rut is happening. Okay. And I shot, I shot like a hundred mid 160 class, uh, muley, uh, with my bow. Um, 
is what I ended up shooting. But I chased them little coos deer. And, man, they're like – I mean, I thought Louisiana whitetails were small. These things are tiny, bro. <laughs> but you talking about an amazing animal. And uh, so if you ever get a chance, man, you got to go. I'll have to check that out. I've got a guy who's going to be joining me on the podcast. Um, I've got to look. I think sometime in September. But he runs an outfit actually down in Mexico. And they do yes. desert they do desert bighorn mule deer and coos deer. And oh. I'm like, I'm I'm excited to pick his brain on it. But I've been I've been watching videos, man. That's the problem is I hear these stories like, dude, you gotta go try this. Then I jump <laughs> into the YouTube rabbit hole and I'm like, This is my number one passion. I've never done <laughs> right. it before, but I have to go and do it. And I get so right. excited about it. But at the end of the day, I'm like, man, there's only so much time. And that's really where, like, even starting the Nomadic Outdoorsman and then taking over and rebranding the Western Rookie, I'm like, this is the entire thing is about new opportunities, like on, sure. on each podcast. I just want yep. people to understand that there are so many different animals that you can get out there and hunt that you might not know about like growing up in Louisiana or in Wisconsin. Like this is what we hunt. We go out with the rifle for deer season. That's it. Guys, I can't believe it, but we are one month away from season openers all across the country. And if you're like me, you're finalizing your gear list, getting last minute preparations set in place. And a few things that you cannot forget are a good rangefinder and a good set of binoculars or best of both worlds, the two combined into one. Vortex offers their line of Fury binoculars with range finding capabilities and applied ballistics built right in. I'll have mine around my neck from the mountains of Utah to the north woods of Wisconsin and every trip in between. So if you're ready to get serious about your last minute prep to increase your odds this fall, check out what's new from Vortex at vortexoptics.com and head to your favorite Vortex dealer to make sure you're ready for everything fall can throw at you. Well, right. guess what? There's this tiny, tiny little whitetail in southwest U.S. that you can go out and you can hunt them like you would a mule deer in the mountains or an elk. Right. And like, it, even though it's the same, you know, species, it's a whitetail deer, it's a subspecies of that. Like right. the way that you hunt, and that's really something that I've been wanting to get into is whitetail hunting as if I'm hunting out west because mm. I have fallen in love with glassing. Like sitting yeah. on a hillside with my binoculars or spotting scope is one of my favorite things on this planet now, just trying to yeah. find the animals. And I understand that, man, because we spend a lot of time in the glass, um, especially antler hunting during shed season oh yeah uh, we spent we spent a lot of time and where we elk hunt it's a little thicker we have openings but it's a little thicker but we still spend quite a bit of time there but man when you go and you start hunting muleys and coos and glassing and it's man it's amazing see the the glassing sheds is has turned into a passion of mine now too like yeah a couple of years ago, it was my, I think it was my second season elk hunting. We went out and we were glassing up <clears throat> these elk. And I, I kind of have a internal game that I play in my mind of like, what is the hardest feature on an elk to spot? Because there have been a couple elk that I've spotted because I saw the tiniest amount of leg underneath a branch. And I'm like, oh, I'm yeah. pretty sure that's an elk. And then all of a sudden I see it take a step. I'm like, guys, there's elk in there. And they're like, no, there's not. Well, then it takes us 15 <laughs> minutes to find any other feature on it. Um, right. But we were basically doing that. I saw this elk leg move under a cedar branch. And all of a sudden we spot a, a shed and then another one and then another one. And this this hillside was covered in mule deer and elk sheds. I mean, they were everywhere, but we didn't want to go down and gather the sheds and blow the spot up and i was like right. dang man so sitting up on a hillside you could potentially just shed hunt with your eyes 
And before even taking steps off the side-by-side trail, you might have 10 antlers already picked out. And then, <laughs> and now come to find out, I don't know if you've looked into this at all. I don't remember the brand, but there is a company that, uh, it's an optics company that has partnered with a mapping software. And I knew that this would happen eventually. Like I was thinking about this idea 10 years ago, but of course I'm not smart enough to make it into a product, but you can take your rangefinder or your binoculars or whatever the optic is. And when you click the button, as you're looking at something, wherever you're looking, it drops a map on your mapping software on your phone. So like oh, say you glass cool a shed, that? you click on that shed and now you know exactly where it is. So if you have to drop down a Canyon, go around this finger or through a saddle, you're still going to be within, you know, 10 yards of where that shed, that shed was. And so oh anyways, my that's going to be a game changer. I guarantee it's going to be a game changer for finding those sheds that are all the way across the Canyon. Oh yeah. I mean, cause we've, we've spotted some and you get over there and especially if you're by yourself, you know, you're, your chances of actually finding it once you get over there are not that great. Yeah. Well, that would I've be amazing. We did that uh, this last year. Me and a couple buddies. I brought some friends from Missouri uh, out to Colorado, and we did this elk hunt. We did not have any success. Totally new area, and we struggled. I mean, we found a monster bull a couple days before season. Didn't see another elk for like five days, but uh, we. We were out scouting a couple days before season. We had set up camp, and I I pull out the binos, and I'm just glassing the hillside. Well, I see a shed, and of course, we're in a valley, which it's always a terrible place to glass from because anything you see, you got to go up for. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I glass this shed, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to just range find it. And so I've got, I've got the uh, Vortex range-finding binoculars. Yeah. I absolutely love them and swear by them but I ranged that shed and then I knew right where I was standing. So once we actually hiked up to find the shed, I turned around and I was ranging the rock that I was at. Cause then that was going to put me in a better position of actually finding that shed. And we did, we ended up finding it. It was a four point mule mule deer side. And, uh, it was, I don't know that, that type of thing is so exciting. We ended up finding like five or six sheds that week while we were elk hunting. Bro, that it is it's shed hunting is just as addicting to me as as actually elk hunting. I mean, it just it's amazing because some of these areas we go in and we find multiple years off of the same bull and it's so cool to see, you know, like how much they grow, the similarities, you know, how they change and um we actually one of the things that we done on our our channel was we we uh we done a uh we called it the race to 500 and we challenged ourselves me my son and and uh Todd Wilson his father-in-law to see if we could pick up 500 antlers in a season oh my gosh and we, and it's all documented on our on our channel we uh when we ended the year we were at like 735 oh my gosh forget me coming elk hunting with you <laughs> i need to come shed hunting with you man am, you're welcome i Anytime. am the world's worst shed hunter so like if you guys even want to feel better about those numbers just invite me along I well, found, hey you're welcome i i found my very first whitetail shed while looking for sheds this year I'm like, I have I have looked and looked and looked and looked and looked for deer sheds all my life. And I mean, I don't go on big trips to do it, but like even just walking around the hunting property, I'm like, I know they've got to be in here somewhere. There's deer tracks all throughout the winter and early spring in here. Like mm-hmm. they should be dropping. Well, I could never find a shed to save my life. And then this year I had my buddy Brian come out and he's really big into whitetail shed hunting. And we walked out and I finally found my first one. I was so pumped, but that's awesome. out in Colorado, like I had mentioned glassing, man, that's a different level. Like you can find shed. Anybody can find sheds. If you spend enough time behind some binoculars 
or, or hiking around. Yep. And That's right. I, I've just discovered that it's so crazy because the amount of animals I see in the woods in Wisconsin far outnumbers the amount of animals I see. Like if I were to go sit in a 40 acre woodlot in Colorado, but the right. amount of ground you can cover with your eyes instead of your feet far outweighs the amount of animals that are out there. Exactly. Yeah. It's a different world for sure. What, uh, what does it look like now? I mean, I know you had mentioned your seasons coming up, once you moved out to Colorado, did that just open your eyes to all the different hunting opportunities? Uh, cause I can imagine going out there for elk, you're like, man, this is going to be it. I'm, this is my go-to from now on. But once you got out there and started hearing about these other types of things, is that's when you, is that when you really started thinking about traveling or trying different places to hunt? Yeah. You know, um, man, I think, and, and I pretty much all Southern guys that you talk to, you know, um, and especially Louisiana, Louisiana is known as sportsman's paradise. So there's like, no matter what time of the year it is, there's always, there's either hunting, fishing, you know, there's something going on. Yeah. And so when I came out West, I knew that, that I would have to kind of reorganize my, my outdoor activities because obviously you know it's it's a whole different set of species that's available to hunt but then um coming from louisiana where archery season would start you know september around september 20th and we go all the way into late january and then you come to the west where you have seasons that are only a few days long i knew i would have to figure out you know, what could I do to be outdoors as much as I wanted to be? Yeah. And so, uh, I started, of course, I mean, my goodness, you start seeing all these giant mule deer and you automatically want to start hunting them. (laughs) And, and I mean, we've got, we've literally people come to visit here and, and, you know, there's 200 inch deer in town and they're just going crazy, you know? So, that obviously started started that and um and i do have by the way i do have a mule deer buck tag for third season for this year as well but um but then i started um i started meeting different guys and um uh, like with the the bear hunting and the lion hunting i got a buddy that has dogs and uh he was the state state um like the the predator guy for California for many, many years. And he moved to New Mexico. And so me and him are about three and a half hours away. And so that's been a great opportunity, you know, for dog hunting there. Yeah. But, um, and then as far as in Arizona going over there and hunting, uh, the guy who is my antler buyer, uh, rolling bones, uh, antler broker, he lives in Arizona and he guides, um, uh, I think he guys for premium hunts out of Arizona. And um, so me and him became really good friends. And over the past few years, you know, he's invited me over. He's the one that that got me to come on that uh, coos hunt. Okay. And so I've been very blessed, very fortunate to meet a lot of, you know, great fellow hunters and, and uh, make some really great relationships. Man, that's cool. Uh, one thing I want to touch on, and as soon as you started saying this, I was like, man, I got to find out more about it. You said he's your antler buyer. Now, mm-hmm. I know that that's a big thing. Like people will go and find elk sheds or deer sheds or whatever, and they sell them. That's something that, one, in my mind, I'm like, okay, if I found 700, yeah, there, I probably had a couple that I could get rid of. You know, but like I just want to, I want to find just the sickest, gnarliest matching elk shed set on the planet. And I just want to have, like, I want to be that guy who makes chandeliers and Christmas trees out of my, uh, out of my sheds, but out of your sheds, when, <laughs> yeah. when you go to sell, I mean, what does that look like? So he's, you're just doing this deal. You're like, Hey, this is how many sheds I have. I'm guessing the payout is different whether they're, you know, chocolate brown or all chalky and crumbly, or I don't even know if they'll buy them at that point. But how does that work? How did you figure out, hey, I can find sheds. It's amazing. 
I'll keep the ones that I really like and I'll sell the others or do you just sell all of them? So, so I, I keep the, the ones that are special to me and, and, um, after finding as many as we do every year, you know, you kind of, you kind of narrow it down to something really special. Like I've yeah. got a set of, um, uh, 208 inch, uh, muley sheds that I Jeez. found's got kicker and, you know, all that crazy stuff. Um, but so here's the deal. It's a, it's really antler buying is a really big deal over in, uh, Southwestern, uh, Colorado, what most people refer to as the four corners, you know, New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, Colorado. Yeah. And, um, so, Actually, my son is 22. He just become a um, uh, a buyer under Rolling Bones, and okay. so he's now he's now starting to do that. Um, but what happens is buyers throughout the state will go uh, usually from around February, uh, end of February to uh, the first of June. And they will go and literally set in towns uh, all throughout the four corners by an antler. And Man. so I met, I met Roland Bones. Um, uh, his name is Trinity Walker. Uh, no kin, but same last name as me. But I met him probably nine years ago now. And uh, man, just established a great relationship with him. And, uh, you know, he told us that we in this part of Colorado, we sell him more antlers than just about anybody. So we become pretty good friends pretty quickly. And uh, yeah, so there's a there's like a grading scale that they have uh, that you kind of mentioned, you know. So you're like this year, for instance, uh, uh, brown elk antlers uh, at the height of the season was going for nineteen dollars a pound. Jeez. So if you just think. You know your average elk antler, um, if it's a, if it's decent, it's going to be maybe seven pounds, seven and a half pounds. So, I mean, you're you're talking pretty decent money for one antler. That's yeah, you, know, you find a you <laughs> you find a giant brown that's going to go, you know, eight, nine, possibly even ten pounds. You're talking about pretty good money, and then they just kind of grade down from there. I think uh, hard white, which is you know year old i think they were going at the height of the season they were going for 12 or 13 dollars a pound and then it just kind of goes down from there so um there are guys there are guys literally in the four corners area that during shed season they almost live off of the money they make from selling their antlers yeah i could imagine i mean i i look at i mean you know during during the early part of the year after seasons have ended and before anything else opens up, you start seeing shed hunting content all over social media and I'll get these yeah. videos of guys and they've got packs and packs <laughs> that they're carrying out of sheds. And I'm like, dude, how in the world are you finding this many sheds? But I'm assuming that, you know, just like whitetail that might winter in the same area, elk, they probably have their wintering range where they go and they hang out and they're all dropping sheds at the same time. So once you find one of those honey holes, it's probably easy the next year to go back and be like, all right, there's going to be a bunch in this general area. We just got to grid search it. Um, but yeah, seeing how many sheds that these guys pack out and they've got their pack frames completely loaded down by the time them and their five, six buddies come back, they've got an entire truck bed full just from one weekend of shed hunting. <laughs> I'm like, dude, yeah sign me up for that i am 100 percent in and i've heard i've heard i don't know what states this is legal in in what states it's not or maybe there's no regulations on it at all but i've heard of people that will go up and they'll sit up just like we would during uh the day to to scan for sheds or to glass for sheds they'll do that same thing with a thermal scope or thermal binoculars and those sheds will stick out like a sore thumb right at sunset uh, wow. because the rest of the ground is cooling down faster. Like the, the, 
antlers hold their heat longer and so they'll throw off a different heat signature and so that's a way that you can way easier find sheds but like i said wow, i don't know let's go cool. i don't know if there's even any regulations on it but somebody had mentioned that and i've never done it but i'm really curious what that would look like because i have seen uh deer and elk through thermals before like just right. glassing them for fun and it's pretty crazy you can see their antlers plain as day through thermals when they're out feeding that's interesting i i had not i had not heard of that yeah so i mean obviously i'd look into it before you go out doing it but like yeah that could be a game changer you know you spend a little bit of money on a good pair of thermal uh binoculars and mm -hmm. you go set up on a hillside and you might be able to roughly map out exactly where you're going to go and find sheds later the next day that that'd be pretty cool yeah I'll, I'll have to look into that for sure yeah and i mean with the math that you're talking about you'd only need like 10 good antlers and you'd pay for it right there right <laughs> right well i actually so so my go-to my go-to binocular optics have always been vortex because i just love vortex and oh, yeah to me they're and i'm not saying this i'm not sponsored by them or nothing like that i'd i'd love to be one day but i'm not but uh their customer service dude is amazing like we've had a couple times where where you know we've had a issue with a binocular or something and they would overnight us a new pair yeah and just you know so they're amazing but one of the things that I had um, done, my my antler buyer, he is a um, he's like a, a sales rep for uh, Sawarski. Okay, and uh, that's always been a little bit out of my price range, uh, but but he kept going, man, for spotting you know long distances, you should get a pair, and so and I told you we'd become really good friends, and so he goes. He goes, man, you sell me so much antler. He said, this, it will help me as well as you. He said, why don't, why don't you just, um, trade me out antler for a brand new pair of Swarovski. Dang. And so I literally ended up getting a pair of 15 by 56 Swarovski binoculars. And they are amazing. That's I mean, that's pretty crazy. Like go out and shed hunt and all of a sudden you get brand new binos for it. Yeah. I come home one day and he sent me a message. I'd been working and he sent me a message and said, those binoculars are on your table. I just opened your door and went in and put them on your table. <laughs> and I got home and there's a brand new pair of like, uh, I think his price was $2,150 or something. Jeez. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I traded them out with Adler. Gosh, that's hilarious. Well, that's pretty amazing. I mean, the fact that, you know, people can make that kind of money off of off of shed hunting, that's not something that I would have ever even considered uh, in my life. But you better believe if I was a young dude without a family, I'd be out there shed hunting a lot. And now I'm actually pretty fortunate because, uh, like I had mentioned to you when we first started chatting before the recording, uh, I'm, this is my first episode that I'm doing from our new motor home. So I'm all set up in here, but we're, we're about to hit the road. We've got three more days on Thursday. We're hitting the road full time. And so I'm hoping to convince my wife, instead of being down at the beach in Florida this spring to be out West shed hunting. <laughs> well, look, you should do that. And, and you should, uh, you should come and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll plan a trip. We could either hit, um, Colorado doesn't open till May 1st yeah. for shed hunting, but, but, um, New Mexico is open year round and Arizona is open year round. Nice. So we could, um, man, anytime, just let me know. We'll, we'll do it. Yeah. I'm going to have to do that. That sounds amazing. And maybe what I'll do just to secure my spot shed hunting is I'll tell my wife, you know, half the money I make off of selling the sheds, you can take for Florida. There you go, bro. Best, best of both worlds. I don't even <laughs> care if I walk away with no money from the deal. I just want a couple of cool sets of elk <laughs> antlers. And my mom, my mom actually, uh, she'll pick antlers up here and there. Like, obviously, if she finds them, it's even better. 
but every now and then she'll go to like an estate sale or something up there in Wisconsin and she'll end up walking away with the whole box of, box of deer antlers and yeah. she bought a whole set of tools and now she makes full on deer antler rings and I'm like man that's pretty wow. cool like that's a cool way to do it even if you sell somebody an antler you keep a little chunk of it and make a ring and then you remember hey this is from you know, such and such bull that I found last year, or you throw it into a knife handle or something. That's, that is pretty slick there. That's yeah, what, cool. That, that was the other question I was going to ask. So your, your elk buyer or your antler buyer, what, mm -hmm. what are they doing with all these elk antlers that they're able to pay so much money for? Is it decor? Is it furniture? Is it, does it hold some type of medicinal value? So, so, um, the the market has changed a little bit over the last few years. Uh, now he still buys all grades. I mean, he'll buy it all the way till it's really chalky, you know, and and crumbly kind of. But mostly now he's doing that just to help out all the guys supplying him with antler because okay. he's not moving that that chalky stuff. It used to go overseas to Japan and and places like that and they used it uh in medicine okay the the market for that over the last few years i think they started like japan started buying from austria or somewhere else and it's kind of slowed down so mostly his market now is furniture makers okay that's that's his biggest you know his biggest market right now and so um he kind of sets himself a goal for you know how many pounds of antler he wants to take in for the season and then uh you know he's got all of his uh furniture makers that he supplies and um like i was at his house literally um was doing some work on his house just a few days ago I, saturday in fact and he's probably still i would say he's still got Probably around ten thousand pounds that he's still oh. got there waiting to be shipped. Jeez, <laughs> I know he's got he's got a set uh he's got a set of elk antlers that he found himself because what started him in buying he was a he was not only a guide but he loved shed hunting and then he got into buying you know antlers but he's got a three ninety set that he found himself. Oh my goodness. <laughs> if i found a 390 set i would not leave from that spot the entire next season yeah yeah and he's got he's got um um a couple of sets that he has bought from guys that are just over 400 oh my goodness so well the yeah. nice thing is so i actually worked for a company here in springfield before i ever moved out to colorado and they made all of the uh, signage and a lot of the three-dimensional stuff, even fake trees and stuff that go into Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. Mm -hmm. And one thing that they got into was form-molding antlers. And so they could, they could make a perfect replica of an elk antler or a deer antler in basically this plastic foam mold deal where they they put this i don't even know what the product is basically this gelatin that hardens and then they just uh open it up put it back together and now they've got a spot where they can pour like this epoxy or hard plastic into it and create exact replicas of your elk or deer animal. and i'm like man that's a really cool way to go especially if you're spending all this time out there shed hunting and you find these ones that are memorable or like, Hey, I want this shed, even though I want to sell it and make money off of it. Well, now it could be basically best of both worlds. You could sell it and have a form made out of it so that you can, you can hold on to it for the future. That's amazing. Yeah. We, we've actually got a guy out, out here in the West that's, that's gotten pretty popular doing that. I think he's uh, uh, on Instagram, like Trapper McKay, but he he is um, my, my antler buyer um, has had a couple of mounts done, uh, you know, where he got replicas 
Yeah. Uh, and they turned out amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. I remember the uh, we had a finished paint section of that company, and it was just several like very, very amazing artists that would sit in there and airbrush them. I mean, they'd airbrush every little detail into those antlers to where, I kid you not, there were times where I would hold two antlers side by side, and they'd ask me which one was the real one and which one was the fake one, and I could not tell between the two. Wow. That's talent. Oh yeah. It was, it was unbelievable. But then now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, okay, I wonder how much a replica antler actually is, you know, if <laughs> you might end up being better off, just not selling the antler and holding on to it than paying for a replicate to be made. And I'm sure eventually there's going to be the 3d printed models. All you have to do is send in a picture and they can probably reproduce it for you. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's probably one of the things I've learned and, and, uh, over the last few years, Chad hunting is, you know, what to look for. Like, okay, this is something so special that I just need to keep it. It's not worth, you know, the money I would make yeah. to sell it. And I, I did, I did, um, uh, several, several years ago, I think I found that 208 set like four or five years ago. And uh, my antler buyer, he collects anything over 200 inches, uh, muley-wise. He, he's a collector as well. And so he has this big collection. Damn. And as soon as he saw this this buck um, that I'd found, he's like, oh, my gosh, I got to have it. And so he ended up giving, giving me $550 for that set. Jeez. And, <laughs> and uh, he told me. He said, look, I want that set. Uh, and if you ever decide you just have to have it back, you can have it back for the same, you know, the same money. Oh, that's cool. And so, and so he kept it for about three years and uh, I got it back from him here a little while back. <laughs> See, I, I feel like now the, now what you have to do is, you just need to go around to all the deer farms and the elk farms and all these wild game farms all over the place and be like, Hey, listen, I'll pay, I'll pay you for matching <laughs> sets only. They've got to be over 200. Inches. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, there, there was a, uh, it was a TikTok or an Instagram video or something. And it was, it was so funny because these guys would go out all the time. I mean, they'd go shed hunt together every year. They do multiple trips. Well, one of them ended up finding uh, a place like that. And he bought this giant side and he's like, I'm going to take this out and I'm going to hide it right where I know my buddy's looking. And he wrote like his initials on the, on the pedicle or something like that. Like oh, something my. to where he <laughs> could actually tell him like, dude, I was just messing with you. And so he did, his oh, buddy no. was almost in tears because he went and found like the <laughs> biggest shed of his life. He's losing his mind. And then, and the guy filming is just laughing the entire time. And he's like, dude, what are you laughing about? What are you laughing about? This is insane. And he's like, look at the base of it. And I, I thought the guy was going to kill him. I thought he was just going to like <laughs> stab him with the that's, antler. That's just wrong. Man. Oh yeah. That's I mean, that's like, that's like me and my buddies will be duck hunting. And if it's slow and we're not seeing much, all of a sudden one guy will be like, hey, right here, right here. And then we'll be like, what? And he's like, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm like, dude, oh. you can't do that. Like there are certain <laughs> lines that you just don't cross as a hunter. <laughs> oh my, that's great. Man, that's well, great. Steven, I can't believe this. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. We're already at an hour and I want to make sure uh, that I'm respectful of your time, but I want to thank you for hopping on. And I think we're going to have many more conversations. Hopefully we can get to get together in the future, do some hunting or shed hunting or just something. Um, Cause I can tell you're, you're a good dude. Um, well, but, man, I appreciate it. And you're uh you're more than welcome. I wasn't just saying that. You're. Uh, I'd love to have you out, um, and we'll we'll just stay in touch, and I'd love to make that happen. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, I want to give you an opportunity to share with the listeners where they can find you, where they can follow along, social media, YouTube, whatever. Okay, so you can find us on YouTube at Ramsack Nation. That's R A M S A C K Nation uh, on YouTube. A lot of cool hunts on there. 
Uh, I think the biggest bull on the channel is a 330 bull that we killed, uh, Todd Wilson killed at his place. But whitetail, turkey, hog hunting with dogs, a lot of fun stuff, a lot of shed hunting on there. And then uh, social media, um, Ramsack Nation on Facebook and on Instagram, and uh, Stephen Curd Walker on Facebook and on Instagram as well. Awesome. Well, man, thank you so much for real. Thanks again for hopping on and I will be checking out a lot of those videos. I want to see the, uh, 700 shed season. That is <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> well, thank you, Dan. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity and it, it was, uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. Man, I am super excited about hunting after talking with Steven, after hearing about his Western hunting experiences. And I want to get out and shed hunt. Holy cow. The amount of money that people can make shed hunting, like, I would go and do that for fun. I would pay to be put in a good area for shed hunting. But then to think you can actually make money doing it too is crazy. But I think I'm going to take him up on some shed hunting as well as some archery elk hunting here in the near future. So I'm looking forward to all of that. Hopefully you guys are finalizing your packs. You're getting everything loaded up, maybe getting the last minute things at the store that you need for your Western hunts. Um, I know they're kicking off and I'm already seeing people posting pictures and all of the videos from scouting or trail camera pictures, like it's upon us. So get ready, get fired up. If you're not already, you should be especially after listening to that episode. But until next time, get out there and chase a new adventure.